On the Hunter's Advantage podcast, we talk to companies like Drury Outdoors, Vortex Optics, Sitka Gear, the National Wild Turkey Federation, and many more, all to help you. Whether you're a compound bow hunter, a traditional bow hunter, rifle hunter, or however you choose to chase your game, this podcast is the one for you. Whether you want to learn how to spot and stock elk in Colorado, how to conserve public lands, or how to start a business in the outdoor industry, we got you covered. I'm Christian Babcock. I'm going to be your host of this podcast, and my goal is to help you become the best overall hunter you can be by bringing you high-quality tips, strategy, and gear review information from brands and guests that you can trust. Thanks for tuning in on your drive to work while you're at the gym, drinking your morning coffee, or whatever you choose to do while consuming the Hunter's Advantage podcast. We appreciate your time. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on iTunes. Leave us a review of what you thought of the podcast because we're going to be giving away a premium on X membership that has access to all 50 states. Okay, cool. So this week I'm joined by Jimmy Hamilton of Vortex Optics. Um, so why don't you just start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and your role at Vortex? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, so like you said, my name's Jimmy. I am, my title is called the Chief Media Ambassador here. So I guess it's sort of my job, if you will, to do things like this beyond podcasts. Uh, we have our own podcast and, you know, I'm in a number of our videos, stuff like that. So I work in our marketing department, been around Vortex for a while now, about 25 years almost. And uh, yeah, yeah, just just living, uh, living the dream over here at Vortex, you know, getting to do hunting and shooting and yeah. being in this industry so it's a lot of fun yeah definitely no i've seen when i was researching for this podcast i saw you were in a lot of you all's youtube videos um you know explaining some products and stuff like that so that's cool um so i just wanted to talk about optics optics is something um that i really haven't uh i've just now started getting into right um you know being a budget hunter growing up in a small town we didn't <laughs> my I didn't really use a bunch of quality optics um, growing up. So maybe we could just start out by how are quality op- optics going to benefit me as a hunter? Yeah, know, compared absolutely. Compared to something cheap. Yeah, I think the situation that you described yourself being in is a situation we see a lot of folks in as they get as they get started out. You know, inevitably, the things that you look to most when you first get going, I mean, talking about hunting, you got to have some sort of means to take game right so a lot of people will look into the bow they look into the gun they look into the cartridges they look into all that stuff to actually take game and of course that's that's pretty integral portion to it uh even i can't say that optics would do you a whole lot of good if you were hunting with a knife or something along those lines <laughs> um but optics can kind of take a back seat but really once you start getting into it and as you start you know we'd always suggest borrowing if you have a friend or something like that who has optics on them uh, or there's even some other means to, you know, I don't know of any rental programs, but there's some way to get your hands on optics while you're out in the field and seeing the advantage they can provide. It's, it's pretty huge. I mean, uh, undoubtedly, anyone who's ever been out in the field, you know that with the naked eye, you can look at something that's even, you know, 50 to 100 yards away when you're actually out in the field doesn't look that far. I know when you're on a football field or something like that, it can look a little bit further than, than it actually does when there's a lot of woods and trees in the way. Uh, but it can play tricks on your eyes a lot. You know, if you're looking for deer and you're in thick timber or something like that, even being able to hold up a set of eight power binos to your eyes and uh, really get a closer look to see what's out there 
can can be a huge difference maker. You know, you can watch things from further out. You don't have to get as close in to potentially spook game. Uh, you don't have to be necessarily as mobile, making as much noise uh, when you can post up in one spot and and glass. Uh, watch watch various different places as well from one one location. When it comes to obviously then rifle scopes, things like that, it just helps you be that much more accurate, making sure that you're putting an ethical shot on game, uh, just, you know, in addition to being ethical, just a quick, uh, a shot that's going to lead to a quick expiration of that animal so you don't wind up having to track it forever and, uh, you know, higher likelihood of actually harvesting it later on. So, I mean, there's a number of things. We've catered to hunters and shooters from the east side of the U.S. to the west side as far as you can go and, and even internationally. So, Every hunter is going to need something different. I can't tell you that the guy out east in Pennsylvania or something like that is going to need all the same tools that the guy out in Montana or Idaho would need. They're going to need very, very different tools. But in the end, being able to bring something that's far away up close and, and doing so uh, with with a good image quality is is huge. Mm-hmm. No, I think about this as a hunter is is like it helps me make better decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I if I can tell that this buck that I've been watching, it, you know, is three years old instead of five, you know, that's going to help me be a better management line and hunter. Um, but do you think you should view optics as a system? So I have a good pair of binos, a good spotting scope, a good rifle scope, or do you think some people just view this as like a singular piece? Like I'm just going to get a good scope and that's going to do it. That's going to be enough for me. Yeah, so I think, again, it kind of boils down to what you're trying to do primarily. So everybody who, for their unique application, is going to need a different tool set or a different optics kit, if you will. There are certainly a lot of folks around here. We're in Wisconsin, and uh, you know you don't get a whole lot of long-range shots, for example. Uh, you're not always seeing out at extended ranges. So guys around here might be able to get away with a uh, relatively inexpensive set of binoculars and a decent scope, a rifle scope on their rifle. And that's going to do them just fine. And whereas, you know, somebody out west, they're going to need to look at their entire kit and, and really analyze every last purpose of, of everything they bring out there, especially when they're going to a backcountry hunt, for example. Um, so we see more of that with the, with the western hunters, you know, those adventure guys who are out in the mountains or out in the desert or something like that. Uh, the best example I might give would be, um, you know, backpack hunter is going to probably, depending on the game they're after, but one example that they might take out in the field would be like a, uh, 12 by 50 set of binos. That's a configuration that is a good bino that you can put on a tripod. Uh, and so you can, you can tripod glass, which a lot of those guys will do where they'll sit up in one spot and they'll just pick apart the landscape, whether it's a opposite hillside or mountainside to them or or just a landscape that they're looking at uh, but they could also handhold it to spot something fairly quickly 12 power is right on that threshold of being able to handhold because it's still pretty high mag uh, but you can just with a steady hand you can hold it still enough to spot game then they might take a spotting scope where let's say okay i've spotted that game now i want to see if it's something that i want to put the stock on or go after They'll bring a spotting scope that really bumps up the magnification, helps them see much more closely, analyze that that game that they're or that quarry, and again, like I said, see if it's something they want to put the stock on. And then, when it all comes down to it, you need the scope that's going to be adequate for whatever range you think you're going to be shooting at, 
you know, guys who don't think they're going to be shooting at as high of a range, don't need to go for as much magnification, for example. Uh, there's various different features with the turrets of the rifle scope that you might want to consider. Long-range hunters these days, they tend to opt for like an exposed elevation turret so they can dial a shot with maybe a capped windage turret so they don't have to worry about bumping the turret. Um, that all plays into, like you said, kind of your loadout. Um, and th the more technical the hunting that you get into, I'd say the more that, that you wind up having a full system. Um, you know, the, uh, the, I don't want to say that, I don't want to say that Midwestern hunting or the Eastern East of the Mississippi isn't technical hunting. There's certainly a lot of technical aspects to it, but the visual aspect of hunting in our neck of the woods is a little bit less technical. You know, a deer might walk out 30 yards in front of you. You don't need right. all those optics just to see it and just to, you know, uh, you know, wind up, wind up killing it. So, um, yeah, when the visual game gets more technical, it's, it's definitely important. Could you explain the uh, the range of magnification of like a spotting scope? Because for someone mm -hmm. that doesn't hunt out west a lot, you know, when I'm going online, I'm looking to buy a spotting scope. I have no idea what those numbers mean. I know an eight, you know, an eight power binocular, ten, twelve. I know all that, but what's the what? What are the ranges on a spotting scope? Yeah, so there's a few common sizes you'll see out there. And, uh, so generally speaking, so I'll start with how the number configuration works. So you might see a 20 to 60 by 80 or 85. And what those numbers mean is that basically your magnification are the first two numbers. So that spotting scope is variable power. It's capable of magnifying your image 20 times and then all the way up to 60 times and anywhere in between. So, uh, you know, basically, if you can imagine something being 500 yards away, you're magnifying it, you know, making it between that last number on there. So, like I said, a 20 to 60 by 80 or an 85 might be a common configuration. That last number is the objective lens diameter. So it works similarly to like your binoculars, you know, an eight by 42 is the eight is the magnification. So eight times zoom and then 42 is the objective size. It's very similar with the spotting scope where the first numbers are the magnification, the last number is the objective size. So um, generally speaking, the larger or the higher you go in magnification, you'll wind up with a little bit larger objective bell. So that's why a 20 to 60, that's pretty high power. You'll end up with an 80 or an 85. You might see then as well uh, 65 millimeter spotting scopes. And those can still be pretty high mag. I know that ours, for example, I want to say off the top of my head, is a 22 to 45. So 22 power to 45 power by 65. Differences really between those just being that the 65 is a little bit lighter weight and smaller and easier to carry around, uh, more mobile. Uh, you just sacrifice a little magnification for that. Um, on occasion, you'll see smaller spotting scopes. That's kind of becoming something that's a little bit more popular nowadays. We've had one for quite a while. It kind of has a cult following with the real lightweight hunters out there. <laughs> and uh, the 50 millimeter spotting scope size. So we have an 11 to 33 by 50 razor spotting scope. Um, really cool scope. And like I said, the whole kind of point of it is that it's super lightweight, but it still gives you more magnification than you'd be able to get with your average binos. Um, and so, yeah, those are, those are what you'll see primarily a lot of, a lot of spotting scopes out there are anywhere between that 60 and 85 range. You'll see like a 60 or 65 and an 80 or an 85. And then on occasion you'll see fifties out there. Cool. So keeping it on binos and spotting scopes, uh, a cool one that I saw 
was your Fury Binos, um, which is the range finding ones. So can you explain the concept behind those and you know why those are useful? Yeah. The Fury Binos, man, that, that was a project that couldn't have come soon enough. We got a lot of requests for years to come out with a range finding bino. We had a lot of people just saying, why don't you just put a button on it? Um, and you know, it's, it's not that simple. Unfortunately, we could have put a button on binoculars a long time ago. It just wouldn't have done anything. Um, but you know, range finding binoculars are a huge asset to hunters in that it combines two pieces of gear into one and one piece of gear that I hadn't even mentioned yet, but, but that a hunter, regardless of where they are in the country or in the world, you know, in the case speaking internationally, um, Regardless of where they are, having a rangefinder is super, super important. You know, a bow hunter, you don't even have to be talking about extreme distances some of the rifle guys shoot. A bow hunter, um, you know, 30 to 40 yards can make a huge difference in the drop of your arrow. And so being able to range accurately where a deer or whatever you're after is at can help you, again, kind of put that accurate and ethical shot on an animal. So the the issue that some people have or the reason being or the reason behind why some people want a binocular and a rangefinder combined into one is you know if you can imagine glassing with your binos and you're in one of those situations where it's kind of tight on time you know you don't always have the luxury of having the deer come out from behind a tree and just kind of broadside and just wait for you to shoot it so you got to move quickly and if you have your binos out and they don't have an integrated rangefinder and a deer pops out, you might glass it, okay, you find out that's the one that you want to shoot. Well, now all of a sudden i got to switch to my rangefinder, which hopefully I have it in a ready p- position to get quickly. But if I'm fumbling around a lot, first off, I'm potentially making a lot of noise. And second off, I'm wasting valuable time. Whereas if I had a binocular rangefinder and I'm glassing, I can just quick hit that button on the rangefinder on the binocular, range that animal, set my binos down, and draw my bow back or bring my rifle out to shoot. And so you're saving, you're saving yourself valuable time and you're just making it a lot more streamlined of a process, less chance for error. And uh, so that's kind of the main reason behind it. But it's, it's a pretty cool vino. We upgraded it this year to 5,000 yards capable. So, you know, even guys that aren't necessarily, you know, I don't know of anybody shooting a deer at 5,000 yards. I hope <laughs> there's, I don't know. I hope there's nobody out there unless yeah. uh, they're an f- absolute freak. But um you know, and now the long range shooting crowd and the precision rifle crowd can kind of get into that as well. Um, so, yeah, do you ever see this for? Do you ever foresee this being an issue with, say, you got a deer walking by at, at thirty yards and you pull up your binos and they're just they're just zoomed in too much? Do you, do you see that being an issue? No. Well, the the one thing as far as like magnification goes is that binos are generally speaking fixed power. So you don't usually have to worry about too much. Uh, like on a rifle scope, for example, that can absolutely happen. Let's say the mm-hmm. last time you were looking through your rifle scope, you had it bumped up to, if you have a 4 to 16, you had it bumped up to 16 power. And then you pull it up and a deer is only at 100 yards. Um, you know, 16 power is, is pretty excessive for 100 yards, at least in my opinion, you know, this personal experience. Um you know, and so I'd quick have to start dialing it down. Um, so that, that you don't have to worry about as much with binos. There's some variable powered binos out there. I, I couldn't even tell you which ones they are, but we don't have any of that. Um, the only real thing that you might run into would be if your binos are focused uh, at a different distance than what you're trying to look at. Um, that's pretty quick, luckily. It's just that center 
focus wheel on a binocular to just dial in right. that focus a little bit. So it's it's not too much of an issue. Um, you know, if you have the one thing, you know, that, that I'll say is that I think a lot of people tend to opt for binoculars that are far too big, uh, whether it's size or magnification for their actual use. Um, and so you, that's, that's one thing where once you get a 10 by 42 or a 10 by 50 set of binos, you can't back down the magnification. So to your point, if, you know, a deer popped out at 30 yards and I have 10 power binos and I pull them up, I can't do anything about it, you know, but I, it's just, I'm pretty zoomed in. And, um, you know, the Furies are a 10 by 42. I actually think I'm picking on 10 right now and really it's not the greatest magnification to pick on because it's a pretty good do all magnification. Right. Um, I think like in Midwest and tight, tight quarters, you know, or in thick, thick timber, I prefer to go with an eight. In fact, we even used to make a six by 32 Viper HD that, that just didn't sell very well. So we had to, we had to get rid of it, but I got one before we got rid of it. It's one of the best optics ever for around this area, but trying to sell those binoculars is a pain in the butt. Because somebody comes up and they say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to be hunting deer and uh, I live in northern Wisconsin where you can't see further than 20 yards without, you know, seeing a wall of trees. And we tell them, hey, 6x32 or like an 8x42 and they just they instantly shut it down because the numbers aren't big enough. Right. Um, and so, so that's something that we see a lot. So, you know, it's, it's always worth, that's, that's kind of a planning ahead of time thing. Cause once you get that bio, I mean, there's no, you can't change the magnification. So, mm -hmm. so getting into more of the logistics of it, if I, so what's the, going to be the difference? The main difference is besides magnification, if I go to Walmart and I get me a $70 spotting scope versus if I buy the same one of the same magnification from Vortex, it might cost, you know, three or $400. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's always hard for me to speak to other brands and their products just because I don't have as much experience behind them. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. Obviously, most of my experience comes from behind our optics. Mm -hmm. And while I do like to, you know, see what other people are working with, I, I, I tend to, you know, place most of my emphasis on figuring out our products as, as intimately as possible to, to help our customers. But the one thing I can say is that in, in our experience, we have various different levels of spotting scopes in our line, for example. So like our Diamondback spotting scope starts out for around three to 400 bucks, uh, depending on the size. And then you go up to our Viper HD, which then goes for around, I'm spitballing now, but it's, I think seven to 800 bucks if I'm recalling correctly. And then your razor spotting scopes are around 15, $1,700 or so. And the one thing, so speaking specifically to spotting scopes, the one thing that you'll see is, is that as you basically pay more money, you'll see a dramatic increase in optical quality. And that's kind of a unique thing in some regards to spotting scopes because with optics across the board, one thing that, that you'll find as you get behind more optics, you'll see uh, a diminishing marginal return, just what is that? I think an economics term. I should know. I took econ right. in college. Um, but you'll see this diminishing marginal return where basically as you go from, like binoculars, that's a place where you see it a lot. As you go from a cheap pair of binos, like a $150 pair of binos to a $200 pair of binos, you'll see a significant increase. In order to see the same level of significance uh, on the next level up, like if I were to be just as amazed as I was when I jumped up from $150 to $200 bino, 
when I jump up to the next level, I'd probably have to spend, instead of $50 more, I'd have to spend $200 more. And then in order to again see the same level of increase from that tier, I'd have to pay $500 more. So to get these same levels of increases, you start having to spend more and more money. And that's where you wind up seeing you know, a lot of folks that look at, for example, a $1,000, $2,000 set of binos. Then they'll look at a $500 set of binos. And they might be like, okay, yeah, the other one's nicer. But is it $500 nicer, you know? For the super hardcore mountain hunter, heck yeah, that they'll do anything they can do to get their hands on better glass. But for the average kind of guy who's going out there and glassing, no, not necessarily. So that's that's what you see a lot of times with binos. But with spotters, they're different uh, in in that it really seems as though there there isn't as much of a diminishing return. So if I jump up from like a three or four hundred dollar spotter to an eight or nine hundred dollar spotter that is significant. And if I jump up the same amount of money to the next tier, I'm going to see yet another very significant increase. So, you know, you don't, you don't feel that as much. I, I, I can't speak as much to, you know, let's say the $50, $70 spotting scopes. You know, I'm, I, I know plenty of people use them uh, and plenty of people probably have uh, success with them. I, I have not used any of them personally, but I, I can just tell you that what I've seen in spotting scopes is that really they are absolutely, you get what you pay for. So if you put more money into your spotting scope setup, you're going to get out what you, what you felt you put in. So it, it'll, be, it'll be worth your time if having that high-quality optical system is, is really high on your importance list. Yeah, so for me, the, the first out-western hunt I did was last year. I went antelope hunting um, in western Oklahoma. And we got out there, I think, with some 8-power binos. And mm-hmm. it was... And so I'm using my binos and my friend's using his rangefinder as, as our optics <laughs> and it was tough. So yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what would you recommend for, you know, maybe an entry level spotting scope site? Cause I think the people are going to be, that are going to be listening to this are going to be the, a lot of those people that are entry level. They're wanting to go out West, maybe for a DIY elk hunt or antelope hunt or mule deer hunt. So what, what's a good set of, of, or a good spotting scope from Vortex uh, that's good for entry level like that. Yeah. So, I mean, just if you look at it, our, our most entry level spotting scope is a, our Diamondback spotting scope. And it's kind of, it's kind of an odd scenario. Normally, our, our nomenclature and our line goes, it starts at Crossfire, then goes to Diamondback, then Viper, and then Razor. And there's a few outliers in between there. Uh, but it, mostly for hunting scopes, like Crossfire, then Diamondback, then Viper, and Razor is how it goes. And so in our spotting scopes, you'll notice it starts at Diamondback. So we don't have a crossfire spotting scope yet. I don't know if we will at some point in the future. Um, but I think that the thing is that we've always kind of wanted to make sure that, you know, whatever people get from Vortex is, you know, a super high quality product, whether, whether they paid for the most expensive product we sell or whether they just got the most entry level product we sell, it's something that's going to last them. It's something that's going to hold up and it's something that they're really going to like and feel, feel like it was money well spent. And so, excuse me, um, that's kind of why for the time being, we've started out with the Dimeback spotting scopes, just because we don't feel yet that we can bring out a crossfire spotting scope that would, that would cause someone to feel like, man, I'm really glad I got that. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that that won't happen in the future. Technology continues to change. I mean, 
look at technology across the across the world right now a flat screen tv that was 60 inches used to cost like five thousand dollars and now you can get it at walmart or something like like 300 bucks or something mm-hmm. um you know so it's definitely possible that that'll happen but in our line that diamondback spotting scope is sweet a lot of folks use it from the east coast to the west coast uh it's gonna have good enough optical quality to definitely for spotting game uh determining whether something's something that you want to put a stock on it's it's a great scope and and like i said it starts in our line as the most entry-level spotting scope really it's performance there's nothing super entry level about it it's it's a very legitimate spotting scope to use for hunting and you know shooting as well so that was that's something i'd look at the it's a very lightweight spotting scope and for that reason, I think that we don't sell a whole lot of the 60s. So the, there's a 60 millimeter and an 80 millimeter. And I think they're both actually even, I'd have to check it out. I, I believe they're actually even both 20 to 60 power. So there's a 20 to 60 by 60 and a 20 to 60 by 80. And somebody can totally look that up on our website as well to, to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but we sell more of the 80s, I think, just because the spotting scope is very light as is, and there's not a huge difference shape-wise between the 60 and the 80, besides the slightly larger objective, but it, it doesn't actually wind up feeling that much bigger. Um, and so that I think that would be a great sp- scope to go with. Um, I certainly would use it myself, and, uh, you know, yeah, I think, I think it's pretty cool. Um, I would also go with the angled, if I were... If I were somebody out there looking to get my first scope, the angled configuration, so there's a straight spotting scope and an angled spotting scope, and really the only difference between those two things is um, ergonomics. So there's no optical difference between an angle and a straight. Absolutely zero optical difference. Uh, The angled will be more comfortable really in darn near any position I've found the angled to be better, aside from... Aside from one. Uh, but so sitting and glassing, if you have a low tripod, you can just sort of bend over and look down through your angled spotting scope really easily. Uh, sitting to the side of your tripod, you can angle the angled uh, eyepiece over towards your eye and lean into it. Standing, you don't have to have your tripod sitting up super, super high to meet up with your eye like a straight spotting scope you'd have to have. So you can have your tripod a little bit lower, lower the center of gravity, less likely to topple over, and then you can just look down into it. It's easier to share an angled spotting scope with people mm-hmm. that are different heights. Um, the only time that I've really seen a straight spotting scope be much more preferable, um, and I know actually this is all related to personal preference too, because there are people who are using straight spotting scopes in all the scenarios I just mentioned just because they prefer it, and that's cool, uh, is so like mountain goat hunting, or something like that, where you're really steep country, and you're oftentimes actually on top of the game looking down and you're looking down some pretty steep stuff, it's easier to get your eye behind a straight spotting scope as you're looking downward than it is an angled spotting scope. Because an angled, you kind of have to like get up and over on top of it uh, rather than a straight. You can just get right behind it. So, um, yeah, that's what I'd go with. Yeah, so is this going to come with a... If I buy this, is this going to come with a tripod? Am I going to have to buy that separately? How's that going to work? Yeah, we don't have like a kit. Uh, you'd have to go separate for the tripod. And, um, you know, in that case, it allows you to customize a little bit and figure out exactly what kind of tripod you need. Mm-hmm. You know, some folks like the really small and light tripods. The Diamondback is a light enough spotting scope that you'd be okay putting on a real small light tripod. We have a Summit SSP, for example, and it's it's a real tiny little guy. Um, 
so you could do that or you can put it on a larger tripod let's say somebody wanted to also set their rifle up to be you know able to shoot off a tripod you, know, you can get a uh, it, it'll use the same tripod and do well with that but yeah we don't have any kits right now so what does that connection look like on this is this like for instance, if I'm plugging in my DSLR camera into a tripod, I'm spinning it on the, you know, the screw. How does it mm -hmm. work for a for a spotting scope? So most spotting scopes will have a collar around the center of the body, and that collar has a quarter twenty threaded insert in it. And so you would grab your tripod with its quick release plate, and you just screw the quick release plate into that quarter twenty thread, and then just pop it right on the tripod. Sweet. Okay, so moving on here, um, what products were new for 2019 from Vortex, and why why were they you know special? Yeah, the uh, 2019 is kind of an interesting year for us because we're trying a little bit something different. So uh, for those for those listening, I don't know if we've said this uh, as like publicly yet. It's not secret by any means, but it's it's just we haven't made a huge deal about it. Is, in the past, what you've seen uh, a lot of companies in our industry do is they release a their whole host of new products for that year that they're in at the beginning of the year. A lot of times it revolves around like SHOT Show, for example, or the Western Hunting Convention or ATA. Um, those are all fairly early on in the year. And um, they'll release everything that they're going to come out with that year. So you might have seen a lot of people come out with all their new stuff for 2019 already. The thing is, is that they won't necessarily be shipping that immediately, right? So you might start actually seeing those items get shipped out later on in the year or at another point in time. So we're actually going to start releasing products when we have products ready to sell. So if you see Vortex talk about a new product, you'll be able to also then go to the retailer and buy that that, that day. If if you know, I'm not going to say every single retailer is going to have it in stock the day we release it, but a, a large number of our retailers will. And you know, if somebody doesn't have it in stock, you'll be able to go in and you'll be able to have them order it, and they can they can get it for you. Um, but you won't be having to wait months. So basically, as far as the reason I caveat that is, right now at the time of this recording, we're early on in the year of 2019. So there will be more products over the course of 2019 that you'll be seeing that are new and super exciting. Uh, but for now, what we just had at the beginning of the year that's shipping out, uh, we had our Fury HD 5000. So we were talking about the Furies earlier. When they first came out two years ago, I believe it was two years ago now, when they first came out, they were a 1,600-yard capable rangefinder. 16 or 1,800-yard, I want to say, uh, which is certainly good performance. Uh, but now that's more than tripled to 5,000 yards. And so uh, when you increase the power of your ranging capability there, you obviously can get further distance. We have a faster processor, so it ranges more quickly. Uh, so basically, you know, when you push that button, it returns much more quickly. You're getting a reading. Again, just saving precious time in the field. And uh, it has a couple of new modes on it that are pretty slick, especially for the long range guys. Um, we released our Pro Rings, a new updated Pro Ring. And this is something that all of us Vortex hold near and dear to our hearts. A lot of times folks outside of, uh, especially mostly the optics industry, I'd say, you know, they look at rings as that annoying thing that you have to kind of buy on top of everything else because you get the rifle scope, you get the, the rifle, which is, you know, really the exciting parts. And then you got to get rings to connect the two together. But um, those rings are honestly, they're probably the most important part of your entire setup. 
They're far more important. I would so much rather go out and do any activity, shooting, hunting, with an okay scope, an okay gun, but really solid rings, than I would with the world's greatest gun and the world's greatest scope, but only okay rings. Because you're only as strong as your weakest link. And um, so basically... We have our precision match rings that are really, really excellent quality. They're made by Seekins Precision. They're fantastic. They go for around 130 bucks, which is, is, is a bitter pill for many to swallow uh, unless you're really into the super precise stuff. And so a lot of folks are kind of like, well, hey, I get the fact that I need my rings to be nice, but I can't shell out 130 bucks on just those alone. Um, these new pro rings go for around 60 bucks. They're super precise. They're really nice rings. They're going to hold everything in super solid. Um, and, uh, you can get them in 30 mil and one inch. So those are a cool product. We've got some new reticles in our Razor HD Gen 2 series. Um, that's a really precision tactical long range PRS style, kind of like sniper shooting scope. And, uh, yeah, so we, we offered up some Horus reticles in those scopes now. And then the last thing that you might've seen that's new for 2019 as of yet is the Razer HD spotting scope reticle eyepiece. So in our 85 millimeter Razer spotting scope, that's our top of the line spotting scope, we have an eyepiece now that you can pop. So for those not familiar to with spotting scopes, a lot of times the eyepiece is removable. So there's the body of the scope and there's the eyepiece. And the eyepiece is really what's doing primarily most of the changing of magnification and, and stuff like that. That's kind of where you'll where you'll see that adjustment. You can actually pop that out, and in the case of this razor, you can pop in a different eyepiece that we came out with that has a reticle in it. And so it will overlay a reticle over whatever image you're looking at. And the reason that can be helpful or useful is for shooters who like to spot for other folks and give them corrections based on, you know, a reticle like the shooters seeing in the rifle scope. So yeah, no, that's that's cool. So <clears throat> you said something about the Horus reticles. Um, I when I was looking, when I was researching for this podcast, I saw. Is this the one that looks like a grid almost? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a grid so is exactly how they describe it. Could you could you explain that a little bit more? Because it was really, it was really interesting to look at it because it, yeah. it it looks a little funny to me. Yeah, look here. I'll do my best to explain it, but I gotta, I gotta admit the Horus, the Horus reticle system is, it's extraordinarily uh, well thought out. To look at it for your first time, if you look at a Horus, we have the H59, the Tremor Three reticle. Looking at those reticles for your first time, especially if you're not familiar with those kinds of reticles, like a first focal plane, really technical, something with uh, a lot of wind data on it, it's gonna look like a complete mess uh, as you boil it down it it is pretty slick it's something that's used a lot by professional snipers and and uh, users like that precision guys um, basically if you can uh, if, you're, if you're not able to look at it right now or, or if you are looking at it I'll, I'll see so what you can imagine is your lower two quadrants if you can split the right the reticle into four quadrants based on based on the reticle and how it divides it up your lower two quadrants are like a grid of dots and um, they don't extend out entirely over all those quadrants, but it, it, it takes up a, a good deal. And, man, there's so many different features on this thing. It's essentially, what it allows a shooter to do is get quick range estimations. There's a, there's a feature on that reticle that allows shooters to get quick range estimations on targets. And 
then based on those quick range estimations, there are holdovers on the reticle. And then if the, the target is moving or if you notice that there has been a, a need for a wind correction, those grid, that grid with those dots can help you accommodate for moving targets or it can help you accommodate for wind. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's really tough to explain without actually uh, having it in front of me because there's, there's so many things on that reticle. If, if you're listening and you're just interested or you're curious, you can check out on YouTube uh, some of the videos about folks explaining it, and they do a really good job. Um, we also have some literature coming out soon that will explain how to use these reticles and stuff. Uh, but they're they're pretty cool. Um, yeah, yeah. I that's that's the best uh, that's the best I can do. Again, just kind of only only speaking about them without having one in front of me. But no, I definitely think you need a visual aid to talk about it. There, when I was looking at, it, I was like, this. I understand what's going on here with the, from the visual perspective. You know, there's a ton of you're just moving your crosshairs to different points in the scope based on windage and stuff like that, which is cool. Um, mm -hmm. So do you ever foresee someone that's hunting? Could, could they use this? I know it's more from, geared towards more like a professional shooter, like a sniper, or, you know, someone shooting, you know, way out there ranges. But do you see someone using using this in hunting? Yeah, I want to say it's the Tremor 3 that is decently popular uh, with predator hunters. So when you're predator hunting, a lot of times you might have, you know, coyotes or something like that that come out. They might be on the move or they might have just popped out at a random range. Uh, and if you don't have a range finder on you or if you're trying to make a really quick shot, because in that case, I mean, talk about needing to make a quick shot. A lot of times they're even quicker than what you might need for a deer. Um, you'll be able to utilize the ranging feature of the reticle, get a quick range on that, on that animal and then hold over as needed, you know, accommodate for wind and also accommodate for whether or not the target is moving. And in that case, you can, you can take your shot. Um, outside of that, I don't see a whole lot of use for it. I mean, really, unless the, the Horus reticle system isn't one to jump into, I would say, if you're not entirely sure it's something that you want to do. I would only yeah. really get into it if, like, you're absolutely certain you want to shoot Horus reticles. And in that case, you know, if somebody really got used to it and really understood it, they might use it for hunting. I personally would not. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, it's a, it's a lot. We have some reticles that are a little bit more of a simplified version of them, if you will. They have that, uh, you know, what some people refer to as a Christmas tree and those lower two quadrants of dots for wind holdovers. And that's about the max I would go, a kind of a simplified version of the Horus. And what I would tend to do in that case, and what we've seen a lot of folks do is they're still dialing their elevation uh, a lot, but then they're able to hold off wind. Uh, or make quick corrections, small corrections based on those uh, based on those dots that they have. In some cases, they might not dial elevation. They'll they'll kind of go down the tree and use that grid. But um, yeah, it's really it's yeah, I don't I don't know if I would I don't know if I would personally use it uh, as just a, a regular hunter out there. Yeah. Well, cool. So um, one thing I like to talk about um, with companies while I'm talking on here is you know, customer needs and staying in tune with them. So how do you guys stay in tune with customer needs and feedback, you know, because that's what's going to drive, 
your next generation of products is what people actually want. So how do, how do you stay in tune with that? Yeah, so um, we've been we've been pretty active on social media, I'd say, for quite some time. Um, and that is that is such a great outlet for us to get customer feedback and interact with a lot of folks. Um, really, I think, and not just social media, I guess I'm calling out social media because I've worked in that myself a, a lot in my career here. But I'd say the one thing that, that if, if I had to pick one of the biggest things that we've done pretty well at Vortex, aside from making cool products that, that work really well, is we speak with our customers a ton. So we have a lot of folks here on the phones that get calls from end users every single day. We have our customer care department that deals with any VIP warranty issues if they ever pop up. And they speak with customers, you know, over the phone, person to person every day. And then we have that social media, like I was talking about. We've been on all the, or as, as many of the main forums as we can keep up with for years now. And so just scouring forums, scouring social media, always being open to feedback, checking all of our messages. If you shoot us a message on Instagram, it will be seen. It will likely be responded to. Um, you know, if you shoot us a message on Facebook on Twitter, if you give us a call, I mean, anywhere, shoot us an email at info at vortexoptics.com. So they're pretty much every means of communication to Vortex is wide open. And I think that's helped us take in a ton of feedback and, and we've taken in a ton of feedback. I mean, both positive and negative. Whenever people have that much openness to be able to contact you, I mean, you're going to get, you're going to get the whole gambit. Um, and, and, but ultimately helps make you better. Yeah, no, I mean, I was really, uh, not surprised, but I was impressed when I messaged Vortex and, and they, you guys were so responsive on Instagram. I, I mean, I, I reached out wanting to do an episode with you guys and I almost immediately got a response and this is from a page that has 40 plus thousand followers. So I, I think that's, I just want to commend you guys a little bit on that. I think that that's awesome. And so moving on, um, uh, just while we're talking about customer service, can you talk a little bit about the Vortex VIP warranty? Because I think this is a huge differentiation point for you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the VIP warranty was sort of born born out of the idea of, man, how do I even go back and explain the VIP warranty? Well, for those not familiar with the VIP warranty, essentially every product that you get that's Vortex, whether it's a scope, a binocular, a spotting scope, rangefinder, whether it's an electronic item uh, or clothing, branded gear, all that stuff. It has a no questions asked lifetime warranty on it forever. Um, so if you bought a scope today and put it on your gun and handed that gun down to your kids someday and your kids handed it down to their kids and then that kid dropped it off a cliff and busted it into a million pieces, sent it back to us in a plastic Ziploc bag that said, please help. We would send you a new scope, no charge, no questions asked. It doesn't have to be the original owner, no receipts needed. Um, we also have a full repair team here as well with technicians that really know rifle scopes and binoculars inside and out. Uh, they're, I mean, they're pros. And so, you know, if something ever gets sent back, it's just a little issue. We have the capability to repair it. Um, I mean, our turnaround time is somewhere around four or five days from the time that we receive the product. So uh, we're able to get people back out in the field shooting, hunting, very quickly. Um, I mean, really, I guess nowadays you see a lot of lifetime 
warranties floating around out there in the industry. So I, I won't say that we have the only one. I will just say that, you know, uh, I feel, and of course I'm biased that execution is, is a huge portion of a, of a lifetime warranty. You know, you can, you can take care of something, uh, you know, but if it has a lot of fine print, if it's going to take forever, if the interaction on the phone isn't that great, if, you know, any of those things happen, it kind of degrades the, the quality of that warranty. And so we've done our best to always try and make sure that everybody's getting fast service, super friendly service, uh, fully like everything, all encompassing service. So we've seen where folks will, for example, send back their binoculars for a dented eye cup. And, uh, cause they dropped it out of the tree stand. Eye cup got bent. We'll replace that eye cup, but it's likely that if they drop that, they also knock their binoculars out of alignment. So we're also going to realign their binoculars and check the focus and fix the focus, clean up the binos, make them look like new. And, uh, you know, maybe replace another little thing here or there to get them looking and feeling like new and then send it back. And that's all no charge. Um, so if it's an electronic item too, you know, that's, that's a lot of times people's ace in the hole, you know, as far as some brands, you know, you send something in and it had an issue with the electronics and, you know, that's their way to say, Oh, you know, Hey, it's an electronic item. We can't do anything about that. Um, if it's an electronic item, we'll still warranty it for life. A lot of people, think that's crazy and it probably is a little bit crazy but really i mean in the end if you're going to do something nice for somebody you might as well just go all out you know right so no i i know from from someone that would purchase something like this that that gives me so much more confidence knowing that because you want to you want to take these and use them in in the worst conditions you know side just because of the condition so if you break something you drop it i'd have so much more confidence knowing no matter what i do to this thing it's gonna it's gonna be taken care of yeah yeah optics are tools just like just like anything else that you're taking and and tools are designed to withstand but inevitably all to <clears throat> excuse me all tools will eventually at some point fail in their lives whether it's in 10 years or 100 years or whether it's tomorrow because you dropped it or whatever. And and admittedly, too, I mean, we make mistakes as well. Uh, and so we have millions of rifle scopes out there on the market. We have millions of binos out there. There's going to be mistakes made by us as well. And so we also need to own up to that. You know, So if it's something that we just screwed up, we'll take care of that as well. Um, you know, and that and actually that kind of reminds me of another topic that gets brought up a lot is you see people... Uh, sometimes we'll say, oh, well, Vortex just has, has that warranty because their products are crap, you know, and so they <laughs> expect you to have to use the warranty. And I guess I always question that logic. Um, you know, and I think to myself, we've been around for a little bit over 15 years now, somewhere around that. And, uh, yeah, a little over 15 years now, we'd be pretty well out of business by this point, if that were the case, you know, it's, if you're going to be putting a, a warranty in and really talking that kind of a talk then you better make products that are going to hold up or else you're on a fast road to bankruptcy pretty quick. So, yeah. um, you know, we've, we've always made sure it's every, every product that we've ever developed, we ensure, I mean, we know that it's going to be warranted for life. So, I mean, you better be pretty dang sure that we want to make sure the thing isn't going to fall apart the second you put it on your 308. You know, I mean, the idea is for it to last for life. So, um, yeah, just a little 
thing I, I throw out there because every once in a while, when that when that when that comment pops up on Facebook, I, I just have to chuckle to myself because I'm just I don't know what I don't know where that idea comes from. No, that that's pretty interesting. So I thought this was this uh, this warranty was best described by a video that you guys put out on YouTube. It was it was uh, of a of a guy that had a rangefinder and it was trampled by his cows, mm-hmm. and, and and he still got it warrantied. Yeah, I just yeah. I thought that was so interesting. It was pretty funny too because that rangefinder had a giant hole through it from like a cow hoof, but it actually still worked. The reason we and and a bunch of people hit us on that because they were like, "Well, it still worked. Why did you warranty it?" And I guess one, it's kind of like, okay, if your rangefinder had a hole in it, wouldn't you want somebody to warranty it even if it still worked? But then we we did we did uh, manage to have the technical reason to warranty it as well, though, because it was no longer waterproof. Uh, so, you know, that, that was our, that was our reasoning that we had behind it. But yeah, it's stuff like that happens. We get crazy stories all the time. I mean, it's, it's wacky. So many people will tell you, you know, oh, life happens. Um, you'll hear people just passively say that as you're chatting. A lot of times people say that and they don't really think it's going to happen to them. Or they think that those cases are just extraordinarily rare one-off things, you know, but when we, I mean, we're just one optics company and the amount of things that we see come in with like, I was in camp and a bear came in and just started chewing on my binos that I left out on a rock or, <laughs> you know, I, we were out, uh, as part of a forestry kind of deal and our truck slid off the road and went down a ravine and everything in the truck like fell out of the windows and crashed and my binos broke or whatever you know or uh uh guy got kicked in the chest by a horse and his binoculars basically broke the broke the impact i mean stuff like this is happening all the time and and like i said we're just one optics company and this is just one product that people have on them that that winds up getting destroyed because of some freak accidents i mean it the world's a crazy place. <laughs> right, yeah, no, that's funny. Uh, so moving on here, where can we get some Vortex Optics if, we, if you want to purchase them? Can we do that through your website? I, oh, or, yeah. Or, so, go ahead. So our website, uh, we don't sell entirely direct on our website. So our actual like core products, the optics, the rifle scopes, red dots, buying scopes, stuff like that, uh, we, we have essentially an agreement where we don't sell those direct on our website. You, you'll have to get those things through our retailers. Um, things like apparel, gear, accessories for rifle scopes, so rings, mounts, um, different little scope accessories and stuff, you can get on our website so you can check it out. In fact, actually, as of this recording, we just came out with a brand new website, uh, so it's a cool place to check it out. Um, but yeah, when it comes to those core optics products, you can get them online. There's tons of places online. Uh, every time that I've ever been on a video or a podcast and I start listing names, inevitably I, I make somebody upset because I missed their name. I mean, there's so many places. Um, you can find them even in local stores too, which is cool. We, we definitely like to, we do, we go dealer direct with all of our dealers. So every single one of our dealers, we have uh, either somebody in-house who has a direct relationship with them or somebody that's actually out in the field in their area that has a direct relationship with them. So so all the dealers that you see that are carrying Vortex that are uh, that are official dealers, they they all have some direct line to Vortex. So, um, you know, you can go there and find our products. You can ask questions, and if that person doesn't know or if they don't have a, they don't have a product that you're interested in, 
um, you know, they can maybe get that product in to show it to you. They can call, call us, contact us, you know, all that stuff. So, so where can we keep up with you guys? Uh, whether it's socials or website, what are those? Yeah. So, uh, the Instagram account, Facebook are both just at vortex optics, Twitter at vortex optics. We, uh, we actually are on Reddit too so uh, if you're posting on reddit and any of the guns subreddits will and you and you mentioned vortex we've got some we've got some reddit hawks who will find it and start commenting back uh we also have a podcast too like we were saying so it's at vortex nation podcast and we like talking all kinds of things hunting and shooting related uh as well as food makes it on there sometimes so yeah you can find us all over the place and like i said that new website is a good spot too it's it's a it's a cool spot online to hang out i guess if you will yeah that's funny i I think a lot of people on podcasts are talking about food now food is a food is a big thing man it's it's been that's something that we've chatted about around here at the office hunting has been for so long i think demonized slightly by the kind of uh trophy hunter is such a weird term now because it's both it's both a bad term and a good term. And you have the guys like the Ranellas out there and you have uh, that whole crew of these kind of new agey hunters that are talking about trophy hunting, but it's not, it's not devaluing the animal and only going for, for horns. It's more going for, it's more going for that experience and, and the very culminating that animal is sort of the trophy, if you will, but it, it really has yeah. nothing to do with the fact that, oh, this thing is just super huge or whatever. You know, but then there's the old school kind, which is, is a little bit more about the antlers and not so much anything else. And so it's, I, I feel like hunting was sort of demonized by a lot of people for that reason. These people just like to kill things. They don't, they don't do anything with the meat. And so now people are trying to show, you know, actually, no, this is what we're doing with the meat. It is, they're closing that loop on the story for a lot of, in a lot of people's minds where, yes, I did kill this animal, but I am also utilizing every piece of it. You know, and I also, this is, this is much more healthy, uh, much more ethical in their, in their minds, you know, so it's been really interesting to see, but it's been really beneficial because I feel like I've gone even personally from the old salt, pepper and garlic and just sizzle it on a cast iron pan to now a little bit more, you know, get more tricky with my recipes and trying out some new things. That's great. So what's next for Vortex? What what products are you guys excited about releasing in the future? I know you can't give me too much of, of an insight into it, but <laughs> what's next for you guys? Man, I think one of the coolest things about working here at Vortex is that we have we have a product development team that is hard charging all the time. And we've had a lot of customer feedback like we talked about earlier that we're always feeding into our product development team like when somebody hits us up on instagram and they say hey you guys should make something like this and we respond and say hey cool we'll pass along to our product development team like that is actually happening that's not just a canned response that we get we're actually passing those things along to our product development team we have a huge running list um like you said i can't give a ton of details i know that we've heard really we've heard awesome feedback from people in all different kinds of arenas uh, but some of the ones that, that you should keep your eyes on are red dots and rifle scopes. I mean, rifle scopes are our biggest product category, so there's always development going on in there. There's going to be some sweet stuff happening. And uh, red dots, rifle scopes, and range finders. So I, I keep your eyes on those things. And 
you know, there'll be some, there'll be some sweet stuff happening. Awesome. So that well, was Jimmy, that did, uh, decently not no, super vague. <laughs> no, that's perfect. That's that's okay. more detail than I thought I would get. Okay. Uh, but I really appreciate it, Jimmy. Thanks for jumping on with me. Yeah, so, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on iTunes and leave us a review of what you thought of the podcast because we're going to be giving away a premium OnX membership that has access to all 50 states.